Well, once again, thank you so much to all of those who have participated in our worship service this morning. Um, for Colin Ebers, who was our liturgist today, for um, Gary Brubaker and our praise team who offer our music today, uh, for um, for all of those who have participated in our in-person services through ushering and accolading and um, uh, greeting. Thank you. Um, if you would like to serve in any way, if you would like to be a liturgist or an usher or a greeter, or perhaps you have a testimony or a song to share, um, whether in person or through video, uh, we'd love to have you. So you can contact the church office to sign up um, or um, let us know what you might be interested in. We'll find a time for, for um, our tech team to get to you, uh, as well as those who coordinate our uh, greeters and ushers and liturgists. So this morning, um, we are continuing in our story on those strange, weird stories of the Bible, um, because the Bible is full of stories, some that we know and some that we don't. And so we're looking at some of those stories that we might not be as familiar with. Um, and um, some of these stories are strange, they're weird or unusual. Some are concerning, um, and some we may just wonder what they have to do with anything, so we've talked about Lot's wife, about Elisha and the bears. Today we're talking about Balaam and the donkey. We'll talk about Jesus cursing the fig tree. And then um, we close out the series talking about Eutychus. So today, Balaam and the donkey. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so before we get into the story about Balaam and the donkey, which might be one that you're sort of familiar with or have heard before, uh, we've talked about it before here at Faith United Methodist Church, um, but before we get into the story, let's talk a little bit about the Bible, um, because the Bible is a collection of books written over a long period of time. Now, the Bible as we know it really wasn't put together until about the middle of the third century. And so that's about 300 years post-Jesus. And even that's debated on if that is truly the time frame that it was put together, or was it later or earlier? Lots of arguments. Um, and uh, if you talk to some different faith traditions, they may have different books in their Bibles than we have in ours. For example, there's a few um, different books in the Roman Catholic Bible versus, say, the Protestant Bible. Um, some of you may have study Bibles, which have books called the Apocrypha in it. Um, and some of you might be thinking, what do those words mean? Um, all that to say is that there are so many different versions of the Bible um, and different traditions have different, different ways of looking at them. Um, and within the, within bi the Bible, there is a lot of history and stories contained in it. Um, now, I, um, I've said before, and I say a lot of times when I'm talking about the Bible, um, that we have to remember that the Bible was written in a very different world. Um, so if you read through the Old Testament, um, which sometimes people have a hard time with because they say, but all of these stories in the Old Testament, or so many of these stories in the Old Testament are violent and barbaric. And <coughs> yeah, they are. The world then was very violent and barbaric. It was very, 
very much a, if I enter a space and I want it, I will take it for myself or for my community. Now we have different government systems set up and so um, our world looks different. Now, sometimes um, people will argue that maybe we haven't changed very much. We've just gotten more sophisticated about our violence and barbaricness. Um, another debate for another day. Um, and I think even um, the treatment of, of, of particular groups of people um, is not what we would say would be acceptable today. So if you read through the scriptures, you may read that particular groups of people are not treated well or ignored or ostracized or marginalized. And we would say that's not okay. And the way that we treat people has definitely evolved. Absolutely no question. And we still have a long way to go. Um, because you can probably think of several groups of people just off of the top of your head who would be considered to be marginalized still today. So there are lessons that we are still learning and unlearning. <clears throat> so all of that to say is that when we read through some of these stories of the Bible, they can look barbaric or violent or um, um, unevolved or... Um, uneducated, and that's fair. And some of these stories, most of these stories, in fact, were actually very radical for their time. So while it still may be violent and barbaric, yes, and also really progressive. For example, um, in the Bible, it says, you know, justice is an, uh, an eye for an eye, <clears throat> a tooth for a tooth. And um, that seems very barbaric. And also during, I mean, previous to this, justice may have looked like an eye for, a whole, or a whole body for an eye. Um, or I'm going to kill you for knocking out my tooth. Um, so this is trying to keep things a little bit more balanced. Now, again, Jesus will say further, you have heard it said an eye for an eye, but I say, don't do that. So um, it continues to evolve and change, and we continue to learn more and, uh, and try and do better. And with every story that's in the Bible, it's always good to ask, what is this teaching me? Because sometimes these stories are teaching us who we used to be as a people, Ah, once we were here, and now we're here. Um, sometimes they tell us who we should be as a people. Uh, we are not that kind of people any, anymore, or we should never have been that kind of people. And sometimes it's telling us who we are. We are God's people. So the Bible tells us many different things. And um, as I've said, with most of the stories that we've looked at already, um, helping to identify who we might be in that story. Who do we see ourselves at throughout this passage? Because that also may um, influence how we interpret the story itself. Now, in biblical scholarship, there is a process of looking at the scriptures called exegesis. And this is um, a scholarly um, theologically, academically, 
you know, whatever those words might be. Um, but this process is looking at the scripture and sort of just dissecting it and letting the scripture stand for itself. So it might be looking at what particular words might mean or what the context was historically, geographically, um, how this relates to other places. If this word is the only time this ever appears in the Bible, what does that have to say? So it's looking at it and dissecting the story and letting the story stand for itself. There is another way of looking at scripture called eisegesis. And a lot of times with eisegesis, it's not quite as academic or scholarly. Um, it's sort of the time when we make the scripture say what we want it to say. And so we're looking for particular messages and particular pieces found in the scripture. Um, so exegesis versus eisegesis. Now, I think sometimes when we identify, when we can identify who we identify with in the story, um, we might, that might influence how we read the story, how we hear the story, how we interpret the story. And it's important to know where we might be coming from with that. Now, you, I have already heard from folks um, in some of our uh, previous stories um, this month and last month that they've said, yeah, I don't quite see the story that way, or I feel like it's um, a different, I have a different interpretation, or I was taught differently. And that is true. Um, we may not all have the same understanding of what the story has to say to us. We may not have all the same understanding of what the scriptures mean. Um, at least in detail. And yet, these stories tell us a lot about who we are. And I think even this story today, um, as strange as it may be, also has something to say about our story. It tells us about who we are, and I think it also tells us about who we could be. So let's talk about some of these details about Balaam and the donkey. Um, let's talk about Balaam a little bit. Now, Balaam was not a follower of God, so wasn't considered to be a prophet or um, part of the tribe of Israel. Um, and Balaam was approached by the king of Moab to put a curse on the Israelites. Um, so Balaam asked God, hey, uh, Yahweh God, um, can I put a curse on the Israelites? And Yahweh God was like, no. And Balaam was like, okay, great, end of story. So went back to the king of Moab and was like, sorry, can't do it. And so the king of Moab was like, all right, how about I give you some more money and I'll give you a lot more stuff. I'm gonna give you lots of gifts to curse the Israelite people. And so then, ba uh, so then Balaam, <coughs> again, went back to, to Yahweh God and said, what should I do? And God said, um, go and talk to the king this time, but only say what I tell you to do. So Balaam got on his donkey, and God knew that Balaam was not going to say what God wanted, and so sent an angel to handle matters. And so on the path, the donkey saw an angel with a sword and tried to avoid it, which made Balaam angry, and so three times he hit the donkey to get it back on path. Um, now, this was not like a gentle, like, ah, oh, get back on path. This was like Balaam beat the donkey to get it back on path. And so this happened three times. 
And the third time that it happened, God opened the donkey's mouth and the donkey said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam answers back, because you have made a fool of me. I wish that I had a sword in my hand and I would kill you right now. And the donkey responds, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all of your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And Balaam was like, hmm, no, no, you haven't. And then is able to see the angel blocking his path. So he agrees to go back to the king of Moab and truly only say what God told him to say. I mean, this is a totally fun kind of story, right? Maybe you've heard the story before, maybe you haven't. Um, And it's also one of the stories that you might be going like, did you know that talking donkeys were part of our, were part of the Bible, were part of our story? And what does this have to do with anything? All right, so let's look at some of these details. Now, Moab might be a place that's familiar to you, the king of the Moabites. Moab might be a place, maybe you remember hearing that Ruth is a Moabite. And uh, Ruth is someone who's in the lineage of Jesus. If you want to understand more of her story, read the book of Ruth in the Bible, and you'll hear more about the Moabites and about Ruth. But who are the Moabites? Well, these are a group of people who are enemies to the Israelites, And why are they enemies? Well, it goes back to the days of Lot. Now, remember, we talked a little bit about Lot and his wife at the beginning of the series. Now, if you missed that, you can check out the sermon about Lot's wife on Facebook um, and one of our other worship services or in our podcast um, to hear that sermon. But the the basic gist of the story goes that Abraham is promised by God to have uh, descendants that outnumber the grains of sand, and Abraham's nephew is named Lot. And Lot has daughters, and they're unmarried. And after a little while, um, after they've left Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot's daughters get concerned because they're they're not married, and they start to get concerned and upset that they don't have children. And so they get their father drunk, have relations, and get pregnant. I told you that Lot and his daughters have a complicated story. Um, so babies named, the babies are named Moab, and Moab means from the father. So that's where the name comes from. Moabites are from the father. Um, And so these Moabites, these people, are considered outcasts. And they have hard feelings against and towards the Israelites um, because they've been treated so unfairly and poorly. And then God orders the the Israelites to leave the Moabites alone, just leave them alone. But the Moabites didn't have that same restriction obviously, since the king of the Moabites is trying to curse them. So having been treated like outcasts their whole entire existence, they'd often be looking for ways to get back at the Israelites. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, when you read about two groups not really liking each other, it's a good, it's a good question to ask why. And as you understand more about why they might not like each other, you'll find more out about the story. 
And so it's always easy to cast one group or another in a negative light, but the stories are often far more complicated than that. And so it would be very easy to dismiss the Moabites as evil or even heartless. And yet, their story is one that begins at its very core in desperation, in hopelessness, and also being outcasts. And that's a painful way to start. And living with that pain might, may not make, you may not make good choices. So the king of the Moabites comes to Balaam. Um, and Balaam, again, was not one of the Israelites, was not um, someone who worshiped God, but was a diviner, which often is translated to be a magician, not an Israelite, not someone who follows Yahweh God, um, and oftentimes is referred to as a wicked man. Um, and so most of what we know about Balaam is actually less than positive. I mean, that could, it, that could be why he's the one who's approached to be the one who puts the curse on the Israelites. I mean, you don't exactly approach a, a righteous person to curse other people. Um, so uh, Balaam, um, God comes to Balaam to talk about this proposition, and God speaks to this man at night. And I think that this says something about God, that God speaks and talks with everyone. There's no exceptions, not just God's followers or the Israelite people. This God speaks to everyone. And to a certain degree, Balaam recognizes this God's power. So not only does God speak, but Balaam listens, even though he's called an evil man. So after Balaam has decided to do what God has told him not to do, which, I mean, we never do that, right? I mean, of course, anytime God says we should do this, we're always like, absolutely, we never disobey. So Balaam decides to do what God told him not to do and hears from his donkey. After he's abused him three times, his donkey talks to him because that's normal. And Balaam doesn't seem to think it's abnormal, be abnormal because he has a conversation with this donkey. Can you imagine? And, and it's through this conversation that he ends up seeing the world differently. The voice of God can come in unexpected places. It can come in the water or the fire or the stillness, as in the story of Elijah. It can come through other people, no matter their age, old, or young, no matter who they are. I mean, Jesus was an unexpected voice, and he did things that weren't popular. He touched those that were unclean. He spent time with who were deemed to be sinners. He welcomed children and laid hands on them and blessed them. There are unexpected voices, and not only do they come in unexpected tones, but maybe even unexpected times. The unexpected voice of God that whispers and calls to each and every one of us. The voice that says, I am with you at all the times. The voice that offers safety, the voice that offers challenges, the voice that offers comfort, the unexpected voice of God. Now, if you were to hear a message from God, what would you want to hear? 
I asked that question on social media this week and most of the messages were things like, you're gonna be okay, you are enough, your feelings are valid, I care about you, I see you, be kind. And I think that has a lot to say about a lot of things. I think that has something to say about all the messages that we receive every day, which would probably not be those things. And usually because we need to hear it, it means that we're not. And I think those are important messages. And I think it is important to know that God says those things. And sometimes we don't need to hear those messages just of comfort. So um, it's been several years ago that I was mentoring a candidate for ministry. Um, and um, I was asked to be this person's candidate um, because she was a woman in ministry or a woman about to enter ministry and came from a community uh, that did not support women in ministry. Her family did not support her. Her church did not support her. Um, no one supported her. And so, uh, and not only didn't support, they were very antagonistic and didn't think should be, she should be in ministry because she was a woman. So I was introduced to her as her mentor to be supportive because she didn't have much support. And after several meetings of, with her, um, I had a list of complaints that she had about signing up for classes or about um, not having enough time or not wanting to do an internship or not wanting to do these things and, and just always complaining. And there was one day that I, I don't remember what had happened, but I know that I had a bad day. I was, I was not in a good headspace. And I had this meeting with her and listened to her list of complaints again. And before I could stop myself, I gave um, what I thought was um, not great pastoral advice. Um, and, you know, even as the words were like tumbling out of my mouth, I was like, this is not a good idea. Uh, and, <clears throat> and yet what I found myself saying was, good Lord, you have one excuse after another. I'm tired of you wasting everyone's time. I'm tired of you wasting my time. Pull yourself together and figure it out. Quite pastoral. So the next day I called to apologize. Um, and before I could get my apology out, because I knew I, I had not behaved okay, before I could even say anything, she said to me, I just signed up for all of the classes that I need. Um, I uh, interviewed with three internships and um, was offered two of them. I'm choosing one of them this afternoon. Um, and uh, I got another job on campus and I um, uh, have a church that I'm attending now. Um, so thank you. And I went, I'm sorry. I said, I, I really don't feel like I behaved appropriately. And so I do want to apologize. And she said, you know, what I realized is that um, most people know my story and know the adversity that I'm facing. And so a lot of people tell me I can do things um, and are very nice to me and very accommodating because they know that I don't have support. And actually, she said, what I need is someone to tell me to pull myself together. 
And so she asked if she could call every so often, and mostly just what she needed me to say was, pull yourself together. Sometimes we need to hear words of comfort. And sometimes we need to be challenged. And we need to hear words of challenge. Now, the rest of the story um, goes that Balaam goes to the king of Moab, doesn't curse the Israelites because he only says what God told him to say, and instead blesses them three times, which really ticks the king off. Now, ultimately, what Balaam tells him is that he can't curse them, um, but tells the king he can make the Israelites curse themselves. So... The story is not all sunshine and roses, and Balaam really isn't a great hero. So he does what God tells him to do, and also doesn't. Um, In Joshua 13, it tells us that Balaam died in battle against the Reubenites, which is another tribe of Israel. Because, you know, the truth is sometimes we can hear something, and it still doesn't sink in. And sometimes those voices, those unexpected voices of God can knock us enough out of our own spiral to hear something different. What are you doing to me? Maybe it's from a donkey. And sometimes those voices can speak truth in a way that we just need to hear it. You are enough. You are loved. And sometimes we can be inspired in places that we're just not expecting. Pull yourself together. Because God is constantly surprising us. And sometimes we need to be disrupted in order to be able to listen more fully. And of course, what we hear is important. But it's important just to remember to listen. And remember that we all hear God differently. Just because you don't hear God in a worship experience or you don't hear God in silence doesn't mean that you don't hear God in the middle of the grocery store or a Bible study. And God can also use you to speak, maybe to yourself and maybe to someone else. I mean, if God can use a donkey to speak for ba- to Balaam, what more can God use for you? And as you, God is speaking. May we have the ears to hear. Thanks be to God. Amen.